0: Let's pray. Um, Father, we, Lord, we thank you. We praise you for this day, Lord, as we, as the song we just sang, Lord, where you move will go, where you say we'll go, we'll follow you, Lord. Um, Father, we pray that as we um, come together, Lord, this morning, uh, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would uh, move in our midst, Lord. May you, um, Lord, clear our minds from the distractions, the burdens of this week um the the things we're looking forward to tomorrow lord is our just uh, our responsibilities weigh in on us lord we ask that you would um lord just help us in these next few minutes lord to focus upon you and what you're doing uh, around the world lord we pray father that you would help us lord to see um, how you might move in our own lives father we thank you for your word Um, we pray lord uh, that you would Help us to really understand the gift that's been given to us, Lord, that we would um, study it, Lord, that we would be in it, Lord, that we would be available for you, Lord. And so, Father, we just are, are anticipating um, what you're going to do here today in our midst. We love you, Lord. We praise you, and we ask this in Jesus' good name. Amen. All right. See, I'm, hey, he got my real Bible. He saw that I'm a mess up here. So I. I'm doing too many things this morning. See, normally I just like get up here and teach, and, and when I don't do that, it's like my routine. I'm a creature of routine, and so my routine's been all um, disheveled this morning. Um, today we're having the Nichols family come and share. Michael is, you know, it's going to be a, a challenge because you guys have learned how to speak Gunner in my language. And so we're going to have another language come in today. It's going to, you know, so it, we're, we're going to get the message in Australian English. So I am bilingual. I can understand Australian and American English, and so welcome to the club. Uh, but, but Michael and Kelly, I met them, it was a number of years ago. I, I'm noticing this sort of the missionaries that we're kind of adopting and sending out are people that I kind of went to Bible college and seminary with, and around the same time, a bunch of us sort of launched to different places. I came to this, this tribal place of, of Valley Center. It might have been Africa to me. Back then, I was willing to go wherever the Lord wanted us to go, and this is where he sent me. Um, and, and we had you know, Mongolia, and we have Italy, and now we're coming on board and adopting a family that's been called uh, to Africa. The thing that stood out to me about Michael and Kelly, and then over the years, thankfully through Facebook, kind of seeing what God's been doing in Africa through Facebook, um, it's, it's powerful to see what God's doing through them. I met them, it was my first language class. Um, I, I barely knew it, a noun and a verb, and here I am, was trying to be spe, speaking. Is that proper English, speaking? I was trying to speak in Hebrew, speak Hebrew or something, you know. And I was like going, what in the world is happening here? This is like, I went to public school, and I barely passed, and I didn't pay attention to English. And so here, here I was trying to figure out, you know, the Hebrew alphabet, And Kelly and Michael had come in. They'd already see they're linguists, and they've already been through their training. And they were kind of getting kind of touched up on some stuff. And they were asking questions. I was like, Who are these people? Like, what are they even asking? And so what they do is, I want you guys just to just grab your Bibles, kind of feel them, open them. You can see a couple words in them that you understand in your heart language. In this room, we probably have a good, I would guess, my speculations, there's about four different translations, if not more. In English, there's all kind of translations that are reliable and good translations. We have people that speak Spanish in this room. I know in our family, we have a couple Spanish translations. There's a bunch of Spanish translations. And can you imagine if somebody took away all the scriptures that we have in this room? Out of every household, every Bible program, we would still have the advantage because all of us have heard the Word of God, and there, between all of us, we could compile a lot of the Bible just by Bible memory. Get those Iwana kids out here and just say, "Okay, start saying that word, say that verse again, and write it down." We we have it in our in our in our on our heart language, but there are places in the world that don't have. the the scriptures in their language and meeting with them this weekend over lunch or this week over lunch you know they said that they just compiled the gospel of luke he's going to tease me for how slow you know we're eight chapters into it and it's taken me six months they're they're translate they're they're creating language and then translating the bible faster than i'm going through it so but i've always claimed to be slow so we're we're doing it best we can but they talk about going to these places that have never heard the gospel. He said that they would just go to the market and read the gospel of Luke in their heart language, and crowds of a couple hundred people will show up just hearing. That's amazing because they don't have it. And so we're tickled. Like, I'm just so, like, it's just super cool to me because I have such a love for the word that our church is now partnering with a group of people that is getting the gospel, getting the scriptures into languages that they don't exist we can't even comprehend this and so today I'm going to ask you to be patient because we you know we haven't spent fifty thousand dollars on our, our technology here and so we're gonna there's gonna be a video so Michael if you could just kill all the lights we're gonna start um, with a video there's gonna be a couple of slides yeah just slide them all down welcome to Valley Baptist Church can you kill our lights for us Michael thank you and then uh, just all of the fluorescent ones just go straight across there we go perfect so we're gonna start with this video and then we're gonna welcome him up. Good morning, everyone.
1: Good morning. It's great to be here this morning and be with you. We'd be with some of you for the first time and some of you for the second time. Um, like Gunnar said, uh, I am from Australia, and in Australia we speak a different language than you do here, at least in Southern California. We speak a language called English. Here in Southern California, I've noticed you speak Spanish, um, and some people speak English, um, sort of a, a derived dialect from... An inferior dialect of English, but um, <laughs> fortunately we can still understand each other, and I am a linguist and a translator, so um, I'll try to, try to make it so that you can understand what I'm going to say this morning, and I've had the luxury of spending seven years in San Diego. so um, I used to work with Shadow Mountain Community Church in the youth group, um, so I understand these, these people called Americans a little, be- a little better than uh, most Australians. And uh, I actually became one last January, Um, became an American citizen because of my wife. So, yeah, thanks. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) I flew in from Tanzania to to swear in and then flew out a few days later. And um, everyone seemed happy about that (laughs) before they could change their mind. Uh, This is this is us. This is my family. And uh, you can see our kids. We have three kids, Luke. He's four and he'll be five in January. Malia, she'll be three in October. And this is Elliot. He's our newest. And he was born on Easter Sunday, um, four weeks ahead of schedule. So uh, we actually kind of did the African thing and and chose a Swahili name for his middle name that has to do with Easter. um, His middle name is Pasaka, and that means Easter or Passover in Swahili, Pasaka, Passover. You can see where that comes from if you're a linguist. Um and yeah, so he's what, ten weeks old now, up the back there, eleven weeks old. Um and I was born and grew up in Australia. Uh when I was nineteen, uh the the youth group at Shadow Mountain Community Church in El Cajon, uh they, they came out to Australia for a missions trip. And uh my wife was actually on that trip. She was fifteen at the time and I was nineteen. Um And their youth pastor invited me to come back to San Diego and do an internship. So I came and and worked in San Diego and went to Bible college, went to the seminary where where Gunna went. uh, And we eventually got to know each other here and got married in 2003, Uh, went off to to study linguistics in 2006, and then moved to Tanzania in 2007. And uh, we're with Wycliffe Bible Translators. Uh, We're translating the Bible into... uh, nine different languages in one area in Tanzania. So I'm actually going to show you where we where we live if you go to the next slide. I really love Google Earth, um, and I'm, I love the fact that it shows Tanzania pretty well, and it, you can actually see our house there and everything. Uh, so we live in a town that's about 100,000 people. I'll move out of the way if, if this starts. Yep, you can see it's moving over to, this is called Africa. It's a continent. Uh, and right in the middle there is Lake Victoria. It's a, a really big lake. It's huge. And Tanzania covers a lot of this area. And this is up the north. That town is called Musoma. And you can see there's a runway, a little airstrip, a dirt airstrip. And that's most of the town there. And we're up toward the peninsula. Up here, there's our front yard, the green field, and our house. And our car, our Land Rover, and I mentioned earlier that if you have a Land Rover, then you can sympathize with me, um, Our spends a lot of time sitting rather than driving uh, because of mechanical problems. And you haven't broken down until you've broken down in Africa. Uh, there is no AAA in Africa. And uh, it's happened to us four or five times. Uh, and Kelly's mum actually almost got to experience it with us on, on one long drive when something went wrong and we managed to make it to the city. Uh, but when you're out in the middle of nowhere and that horizon has nothing and that horizon has nothing, and um, then your prayer life improves and uh, you get to know the locals really well. It's great. So you can go to the next slide. Which, uh, look, the night sky in, no... Uh, Another picture of Am I in anyone's way? Can you see? No? Uh, this is our town again, from from a view there, and you can see that runway that you could see from above. Um, part of part of the lake coming in on the side. Next, uh, this is how I get around most of the time in there. It's a cheap, fun way to to get around and. Uh, because there's some other missionaries in town, we can do preschool and, and a homeschool co-op together. So Luke, Luke goes to preschool in the mornings, and I, and I usually drop him off on the on the motorbike. Um, it's just up the street, so it's not too far. And I usually wear a helmet, but not this time. Uh, so as you can see, Kelly's hands are empty, which is great, because we'll be going back with Elliot. So she'll need those to to fit him on as well. Um, you can go to the next one. In Tanzania, uh, it's not all drudgery and difficult life and that kind of thing. We actually build a pizza oven for uh, to have you know pizza pizza times on the weekend and things like that. So we try to try to put some interesting things in our lives, um, things that remind us of home and things that we enjoy. Uh, and because we're in a town, we can we can do a few more things like that. Next. All right, this is, this is our, our team. We're not out in a village specifically. Uh, we're in a town working together. And you saw Lake Victoria in that Google Earth thing. Around the areas of Lake Victoria there's, and, and around this town, there's about 10 to 12 different language groups that speak different languages. We work with nine of them. And we have translators from those tribal groups. Uh, two of them come in. And we train them how to do Bible translation and we work with them. And uh, I, as a translation advisor, uh, counsel them in how to do translation and check the work and use my knowledge of, of English and Greek and biblical studies to, to check uh, their language work. So we actually communicate through Swahili, which is the, the national language of Tanzania. It's like a trade language. And most people start, start learning it when they're in elementary school. Uh, so they... They speak it pretty well, but it's still not a heart language. And so that's, that's why we want to get the Bible into their heart language, the language that they really understand and uh, that really speaks to them. There's all sorts of people here. It's not just translation. There's literacy. Uh, we can't translate without teaching people how to read and write the translation. There's scripture use people here, um, people that want to get those finished scriptures out to the people and using them and on the radio and all sorts of things. Uh, there's consultants and operations people and IT people. IT is a big part of what we do, information technology. Uh, we all translate on laptops that, that communicate with a centralized network where the translation information is stored and people can access that from around the world, consultants and other people. So sort of high tech, um, but it really makes things efficient and cuts down a lot of, a lot of time, in what we do. And you can go to the next one. These are these are my translators uh, not really mine but uh, they're the people I work with and uh, they represent the Jita and the choir languages those are two languages that are very similar sort of like Spanish and Portuguese um, they can they can talk to each other but it's still pretty different and they need separate translations so uh, we benefit a lot by working together by uh, by cheating off each other's work and using their ideas to to better the other one so that's really good and the next all right when we first arrived in tanzania we did four months of swahili language school and then we moved to the town of musoma and i think i was there for two weeks or something and was put into this workshop for figuring out how to write these languages they'd never been written before uh, and that's the first step. You can't translate without having a way to write it. So we did these workshops. I think this one had about five of those languages. And one of our jobs was to to write down uh, their their verbs and things. Gunnar was talking about this before: verbs and nouns. This is a little bit beyond that. Uh, this is the the tense aspects and the tonal melodies and how they shift the the tenses and the aspects in these languages and now i'm losing everyone there falling asleep so uh basically in this language you can change the tense of a word sometimes by by just changing the melody that like that kind of sound that you put on a word like in english we would say really really question statement um, just by changing the tone not actually changing anything else uh, in theirs, it's more complicated and complex, but we had to figure that out so that we could know how to write it. We'll move on. I think I'm losing you. Um, one of the things about working together in in a multicultural environment, we have uh, so we have 20 to 25 Tanzanians working together, but they're all from these nine different language groups and tribal groups with slightly different cultures. Then bring in. The missionaries and the expats who are from Australia, New Zealand, Canada, America, Holland, England, all different places. And we have all our ideas of how to work together and, um, and sometimes sometimes, you know, we don't understand each other in, in an office environment, and these Tanzanians, a lot of them have, have come from a village into the town and rather than wake up and go out to the field in the morning and then go home when it gets dark. Uh, we 're saying be in the office at eight o 'clock you know you 're paid to be there at eight not eight o three not eight o four um, you know that 's tardy uh, be there at eight and you can leave at five. you get an hour for lunch and that 's it you know that 's how we see work uh, and for them it 's very different so and then and then Australians are different from americans and um, and the Dutch are different from the British, and so we have all these things together, in our office uh, it was just a difficult time when we were first setting up and, and trying to figure these things out. And uh, it, one day we decided to have a soccer match uh, and we decided to have a missionaries versus Tanzania soccer match. And we did that at, at our house uh, in our front yard. We we had cleared some area and made a soccer field. And uh, so we had the soccer match and it was just a great time. There was a lot of trash talking and uh, having fun with each other and um, bad referee calls that probably decided the result, just like World Cup kind of thing. Um, and in the end, it was a five-all draw, and uh, we just had so much fun together and broke down so many barriers just through playing soccer. So that's, that's a really special um, picture to us, They're playing for the Musoma Cup there, I think. There. Um, you can go to the next one. This is probably my favorite slide because this represents the fruit of our labors, uh, when we first started translating, like Gunnar said, it took us a whole year to do Luke 1 and 2, and I kind of joked in the first service about um, that's about on par with how Gunnar teaches Luke. Um, so I don't, I don't, But it took us that long to understand. I don't, I don't really like recycling jokes in second services, so um, if I'm not as funny now, just trust me, I was hilarious in the first service. <laughs> you have to talk to them. Uh, but this is Luke one and two in nine languages. Nine languages. I think eight of them had never had any scripture translated into them before. Uh, so, and this is the first time that I've had Luke one and two in those languages. And we were able to take these out to different villages and areas and read them. And like Gunnar said, um, you know, crowds would get together and just want to hear their language because they'd never heard someone reading their language, uh, and they loved it. And uh, a lot of them gave up their their breakfast lunch money so that they could buy buy one of these um that was exciting the second year we accelerated because we knew we knew what we were doing and so we finished the book of luke in most of those languages so there is hope um that it can speed up um and you can you can go to the next one which i think is another google earth slide um you can hang on it or is that playing uh, oh, here we go. This this is actually, we were, uh, when Kelly's mum was out visiting us last July, we were dropping her off at the airport in this city, Mwanza, which is about three or four million people, and about a three-hour drive away from us. So we were actually had driven up this road, up to the airport, and we were coming back down this road uh, from the airport. And it was right around here somewhere. I, I can't pinpoint it exactly, but right around here on this road. We were driving back, and you can see it's not much traffic now, but it was bumper-to-bumper traffic because one of the presidential candidates was in town, and uh, so they always block off the roads. And, um, and uh, yeah, so we were kind of stuck in really slow traffic. When, when we first moved to Tanzania, uh, they told us in orientation that if you're driving a car and you hit someone, which... Which tends to happen a little bit because there's so many people walking on the on the roads and riding bikes and that kind of thing. Um, it's just so much busier because people don't drive very much. Uh, if you hit someone with your car, you you don't stop. You keep going and you go to the police station and you let them deal with it and uh, let the you know there's people around all the time, so let them deal with it. But if you stop, the crowd gets together and being what mobs are um, they get angry and they beat the driver they blame the driver for for hitting someone and they beat the driver and oftentimes that goes to the point of death so yeah you just you shouldn't stop if, if you're in a car and you and you're able to, to get away um, it can be really dangerous so we had stopped in this traffic and I noticed a motorcycle drive past um, Our car kind of weaving in between traffic, and then and then I kind of saw up ahead that there was some kind of commotion, and it looked like the 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 motorcycle driver had hit a boy crossing the road, not very hard um, because he wasn't going very fast, but he knocked the boy down. He was a bit hurt, and the passenger on the back of the motorcycle was helping the boy off the road. Uh, But other people started coming together, and they grabbed the driver of the of the motorcycle, and they took him off the side of the road. Down the side, a bit of a field area, and they started beating him. and uh, And other people started coming over. It, it all happened really quickly. Uh, other people started coming over. I saw kids, like you know, twelve, thirteen year olds, come in and have a turn. And uh, I saw at least one mother, uh, what looked like you know, a, a mama, with her wrapped outfit on and the head wrap and everything, come over and join in. Uh, and it was just. You can learn about those things in orientations and stuff, but when you see it, it makes you sick. Uh, and and our kids were sitting in the back of the car, just kind of wondering what was happening. And and uh, you know, I was just feeling so angry and so so disgusted that this was. It was so barbaric. I mean, this guy hadn't really done anything wrong. This kid had probably darted through the cars and and got himself hit. You know, there's no justice in it. There's no reason in it. Uh, it's just people, a mob, beating someone. Um, and it's always it's, it's fascinated me since being in Tanzania that Tanzanians often understand parts of the Bible a lot better because their culture is so much similar to, to the ancient Jewish culture, to a pre-modern culture, a culture that doesn't, uh, isn't revolved around cell phones and the Internet and cars like driving places. People in tanzania uh, their their network of friends are the people that live around them uh, because they walk everywhere, so you get home and you here's here 's a new concept in Tanzania they know their neighbors uh, they know the names of their neighbors and their kids play together isn 't that fascinating I mean who would think it that 's just crazy um, but for us, we go to our homes we we we're inside and then we want to go somewhere. So we run out to our car and we get in our car and then we drive off somewhere and we meet people. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying it's different. Um, and because Tanzanians live like that, they understand so much in the Bible about Jesus walking around the streets. And uh, I think I think it was one of the passages that Gunnar read this morning talked about shaking the dust off your feet. Did you read that from Luke 9? Luke um, I was following along and I was thinking, we don't really get that. I mean... We don't, you go to a city and when you leave it, you shake the dust off. Like, what part do you go to to say, I'm leaving and now I'm going to shake the dust off my feet? It doesn't really make sense. But a lot of these towns and stuff, everything happens out in the open and people know what's going on. So, and, and all the roads are dusty and dusty paths and stuff. So, when a Tanzanian reads this, they, they totally get the culture. And that's such a, a blessing. I think um, it's great for them. Back to the story. Uh, the the motorcycle driver, fortunately for him, a policeman drove up with his truck and grabbed him, threw him in, in the truck, and drove off before it got too serious. Uh, and I don't know what happened to his motorcycle. They, people probably grabbed it and took off with it. Uh, so there, there goes his livelihood. But... Um, we eventually drove home. I think it, that was on a Sunday, and we were back in, in Musoma, our town, and I was back in the office on the Monday. And uh, I, was, I was talking about this with my Tanzanian colleagues, and I was kind of venting some of my frustration and um, some of my disgust for, you know, for how that happens. and uh, I've, I've been stolen from by two of my Tanzanian friends uh, and that's just really hard to... It's really hard to have a relationship when there's no trust there. And it's, it's not just because of poverty. Uh, the things that were stolen were a cell phone and a microphone. So a phone, that's the thing in common, I guess. Um, but no one needs a microphone to eat and live. It was just an opportunity, and he took it. And um, I've, I've studied culture a fair bit and, and done some anthropology and stuff. And one of the topics that comes up in anthropology when looking at cultures is this idea of shame and guilt cultures. And uh, the difference is, in a, in a shame culture, in many cultures throughout the world, uh, the thing that convicts people of, of wrong and right is shame, is what other people think and know about what I've done. So, for example, if I steal something then you know, I'm not thinking anything about it or feeling anything, but then it gets known and someone says something and I get brought before everyone and they say, you are a thief, you stole this, and I feel immense shame. Oh, I've done something terrible. Oh, everyone knows. Um, so you feel, you feel like you've done something wrong. In a, in a guilt-based culture, which would be more Western societies, uh, wrong and right is usually more determined by standards. Uh, standards that that we know and agree on and laws so for example we know that stealing is wrong i might steal something here um but i'll still feel like i've done something wrong even if no one knows about it i'll still feel like i've i've done something i shouldn't have done um it doesn't matter if people find out or not but i still feel that and that's a and we still experience shame in our cultures but we have this idea of guilt of wrong and right being this uh, this standard that we all hold to and we all understand and I was talking about this with the translators and uh, talking about how you know Tanzanians they just their cultures is it felt i mean it sounds rude but it felt just barbaric and and immature and and uh, and one of my translators, one one of the translators, he, ins- I was expecting him to kind of justify it and say, oh, well, you know, yeah, the mob has to get justice because the police are so corrupt. And uh, but he didn't. He pointed to his laptop, and what you know, we were in the middle of working. He pointed to his laptop and said, that's why, we're, that's why we're doing this. Uh, and I really appreciated that, and thought like that was that was profound. He really understood that. Uh, the Bible is something that can change lives, and uh, one of the one of the reasons I believe that that America and Western countries have have benefited from um, have these societies where people don 't have to build fences and gates around every property and have guards and bars on every window uh, if this were in Africa. there would be bars on these windows because that 's really easy to break in uh and and guards in the shopping centers and things like that is because uh we've had this idea of of wrong and right being a principle not just not just behaving because people are watching but behaving because we understand wrong and right and where do we get that from i think i think it's from scripture i think it's something that jesus jesus really taught and i, and I told the guys you know I think if Jesus came to Tanzania, his main message would be you 've heard it said, do not commit murder, but I tell you that if you hate your brother then you 've sinned you 've you 've already done it in your mind um, do not commit adultery. I tell you that if you think if you think the thoughts in your head then you 've already sinned like that 's where sin starts and and Jesus a lot of his teaching was around this idea that Sin and righteousness aren't your outward actions that everyone sees. It's not showing up and dropping, you know, ten thousand dollars in the offering um, with the band playing and everything. Uh, it's it's what happens in your mind. Sin is what happens, what starts in your mind. Righteousness is is how your mind uh, is with God. Um, you know, lying, cheating, adultery, murder. The most important thing is, is is what happens in the mind, and I think I think our cultures have benefited from that as the core of its of its of its cultural development. Um, and even though you couldn't you couldn't say that, uh, well, at least in Australia you, you can't say that it's a Christian nation, um, and it never it never really was, but it still has benefited from those teachings, from the Ten Commandments, and those kinds of things. Um, and I really think that, that that's something that, that hasn't taken root in Africa. Uh, some people say that Christianity in Africa is a mile wide and an inch deep. And what that's talking about is there are a lot of Christians and a lot of churches and, and people have, have embraced that. Um, but people have a very shallow understanding of who Jesus is and who God is. And what it means to live as a Christian and I believe that that comes back to having the Bible in a language that you understand uh, so it's very easy for me when thinking about is, is Bible translation important can they just get away with Swahili or maybe teach them some English and no when they have the Bible in the language that they understand and it and and they get it into their lives and and uh, you see the light go on and it click and they're like oh is that what is that what that means um, I never realized that. Then you realize the importance of Bible translation. So the the guys that I was talking with, um, one of them started asking me about my culture, which is Australia, which is very similar to America. There's not a lot of um, differences really. And uh, and saying, well, you don't have these guards. You don't have these bars on your windows because you know people, for the most part, are generally honest and generally behave and don't, don't attack each other and, you know, do these kinds of things. And I was explaining, like, these things. You can you can leave your car parked in your driveway overnight and come out in the morning and the tyres are still there and things like that, unless you live in certain parts of El Cajon. Um, you have to be careful. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but... And then talking about... Uh, you know, what religion do we have in Australia? Well, most people are atheists. Most people don't really believe in God. Uh, you know, they're, they're great people, but they don't believe in God. And he said, I think if if Jesus came to your country, he would say, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And it struck me as, as a little bit strange, but also profound. We hadn't been talking about riches and wealth and that kind of thing, but I think he really understood what it was holding us back. Uh, we were nice. We are nice people who are going to hell, um, and I'd say that that's very similar to to a lot of America. There's a lot of nice people that that you know your niceness doesn't really get you anywhere. Um, and I want to I want to read a passage from Luke where that story is found and i just talked about that briefly. and um, If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke 18. Skipping on ahead, this is probably where you'll be in 2014 when we come back on furlough. Uh, so maybe I can preach on it when I come back. Um, I'll, just, I'll just introduce it for now. Uh, and in verse 18, I, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, um, which which I actually like. Uh, (laughs) As a translator, I like the New Living Translator. Uh, It says, Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, Good teacher, what should I do to get eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But as for your question, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was a child. There's still one thing you lack, Jesus said. Sell all you have and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became sad because he was very rich. Jesus watched him go and then said to his disciples, how hard it is for rich people to get into the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, Then who in the world can be saved? He replied, What is impossible from a human perspective is possible with God. Peter said, We've left our homes and followed you. Yes, Jesus replied, And I assure you, everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life, as well as receiving eternal life in the world to come. Now, one of the things that I like about Jesus is that uh, when he meets people, he doesn't have like a, a script that he follows and says, this is what you need to do. It's it's often personalized and he, he tends to know what people need to hear and when I said before that the culture of the Bible is very similar to the culture of Tanzania, uh, when we went through and translated the Book of Luke, I really loved the words of Jesus in Luke because they're so profound. They're so uh, almost like he was born in a in a whole different society where, like, he learned and understood everything, and then was transported into pre-modernism, um, you know, pre-Wikipedia and pre. Uh, psychological studies and all these things and he was so good in what he said to people and and uh, the profound things that he thought and did and uh you know and i believe that when when jesus came across the woman at the well he didn't say sell everything you have give it to the poor and come follow me he said um go get your husband and and uh and also you know i'll give you living water so that you'll never thirst again uh, so he knew what she needed, what what was in her life that she needed to hear, and um, you know when he came across some of the disciples, it was just drop your stuff and come follow me, um, pretty simple. So to this guy, in verse nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, the man replied, "I've obeyed all these commandments since I was a child. Basically, I'm really good. Um, you know, I've done it." And Jesus says. There's something you lack. Sell everything you have, and give it to the poor, and come follow me. And it wasn't that Jesus was saying, "Sell everything you have," because that's the way to get eternal life. It was, I know there's something in your life that's still that's still holding you back from knowing me and from from giving your life to God, and that's your possessions and your stuff. Um, so I want to, you know, put my finger on that and. And the guy didn't take it. It's such a sad moment in Scripture when a human being was face to face with Jesus Christ. You know, we would give our left arm for that opportunity, I would think. And and he said, "What must I do?" And Jesus said, "Do this." And then he walked away, sad, and that's it. Um, it's so sad. But anyway, what what Jesus says to people. Can be different to you it might be a different message Um, and only you know what that is what is it that's in your life that's holding you back from knowing jesus uh, or from following him or what's what's the thing that's that you don't really want to give up but you know that god's saying that area of your life i want it for me Um, you're in that same position as that person for many of us it's it's often can be the things that we own and possess i know that i'm a I'm a weak person when it comes to following God, and so I mean, for me, one one of the reasons of going to Tanzania isn't because I'm so non-materialistic. It's because I'm so materialistic, um, and it's and it's a great way to, to shut some of those things out of my life and and to focus on God more. Um, for you, I don't I don't know what it is. But uh, one, of, one of the questions that I really liked asking high school students when I worked at Shadow Mountain was, what's the greatest thing that you can do with your life? It's a question that only you can answer, because um, only you really know yourself. And for me, I had to think about it and, you know, oh, the languages and um, that kind of thing. So I, I really thought, you know, maybe Bible translation for people that have never heard it before. The second part of that question is, why would you choose anything less? And so often life just kind of happens, and we find ourselves going along and taking on the next thing that comes, and and just kind of doing some things. But you can you can really tell what what people believe by their actions. Uh, you can tell you know, politicians when it comes to election time; they they start an election campaign and they start putting other things on hold, and you see their life change and um, the people around them that that want to vote for them get involved in that and so you can see that they really believe in that cause uh christians we believe that jesus is coming back that there's life after death there's eternal life in heaven with god and eternal separation so what do our lives show about what we claim to believe um and we have one shot at this that's it just one shot at life and uh such a such a great opportunity to be involved in what's what god's doing and 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 jesus comes face to face with all of us and says this is this is what i want you to do uh and we can either drop our nets or you know drop our bucket and go you know do what he said or walk away sad like this guy did and um i hope that's you know something that that you don't do uh like I said, it's something different for everyone. For us, it's it's this kind of thing. And we're we're really excited that, that Valley Church is going to be on board and be a part of our team. It's really a team effort. On the field, it's not Bible translators that do Bible translation. It's IT people and linguists and literacy people and people that teach our kids. And and then off the team, it's uh, the supporters and the prayers and the, all other sorts of things. So we're really excited that, that Valley Church can be a part of that team and and uh, those little booklets of Luke one and two, um, you know, one day it's going to be booklets of the New Testament, and and that'll be the fruit of what comes out of this church. So that's exciting. We, we really want to thank you for that and the opportunity to be representatives for you. And uh, and I'm just going to finish by praying this morning and then and then hand you back to to Gunnar. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Um, thank you for this church and for what you 're doing here um, for you have a message for for valley Church and uh, for valley baptist and um, I pray that they would listen and follow your calling and your leading and um, thank you so much that we can meet like this and sing together and and share together in freedom and I pray that uh, that would inspire us to, to use our gifts more and not not just to be lethargic. Um, and ambivalent about about life but really use the opportunities that you've given us to uh to prepare people and the world for uh for the gospel and for uh, the return of jesus and um, thank you so much that we can be a part of that that you consider us um worthy of of uh carrying your gospel and of Um, proclaiming the message of jesus and thank you so much that we're called sons and daughters of of the living god i thank you for that privilege and and pray that we would use our gifts to to bless each other and encourage each other and and really um move ahead as a church in jesus name amen